0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your
1: podcasts. Hi, I'm Justin Coffin, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. COVID cases are soaring to new records.
2: Officials reported around 12,700 cases and 43 additional deaths.
1: And the governor ain't playing. If things don't take a turn in the coming days, we will quickly
2: reach the point when some form of a mandatory stay-at-home
1: order is all that will be left. An incumbent comes from behind.
0: The Associated Press called the race this afternoon for Underwood. And the results of this race are not going to change. You know whether or not folks voted for me, it is my job to serve them.
1: And city officials cross their fingers that help will come from a new president. An administration change definitely means that what's good for our cities and the people in them is good for the entire country. Joining me to take you inside these stories and more, WTTW's Amanda Vinicky. Amanda, welcome back. Thanks, Justin. Good talking to you. Yes, and also with us, Better Government Association president David Grising. David, welcome back. Good afternoon, Justin. I guess we start with COVID-19. There's so much to talk about in this Friday News Roundup. We'll get right to it. We just heard this the past hour about uh, the stay-at-home advisory, the surging numbers here. Amanda, I'll start with you. Uh, It's it's an advisory. It's not an order. What do you make of of not only what the mayor's doing, but the governor as well?
0: Well, it seems as if they're finally sort of working in tandem, which is helpful, I think, for anybody who's justifiably confused about what all of this means. Cases are rising. There's an advisory. Is that an order? What effect is that? What happens if I disobey it? If things are so bad, why isn't it taking effect until Monday versus the weekend? I mean, there's, there's so much built in. Of course, there's two sides to that. So there's the public safety component. And then also, I've done a lot of interviewing of business owners, restaurateurs, who mm-hmm. say, we, we do need a notice. I bought extra food planning for the weekend. This is when people are able particularly as the weather isn't miserable yet, to come out, dine outside within the limitations. So I think it's all just very confusing for people. And as much as you can get our leaders on the same page, the better that will be for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I have to add, too, I, I think that One of the things that I hear back is that you want to see your leaders practicing this. And I think, of course, Mayor Lightfoot, you know, has been out there with her cape and she's been the subject of a meme. You had the, the, you had Governor Pritzker practicing mask wearing before anybody else did. And yet I get emails from folks that say, hey, wait a second, they're telling me. You know, really sort of wagging the finger, stay home, stay home, and then seeing videos of the mayor and the governor in the streets last weekend yep, yep. upon news that President Joe Biden would be the president or that Joe Biden would be the president-elect. So yep. I think that all of this is things that we just need to keep in mind, that people are confused, they're angry, they're scared, and this is evolving.
1: Yeah, let me ask you, David, because this is obviously was a big political story over the summer when we were talking or in the spring about lockdowns this is an advisory, not an order. Is there some legal and political reason they're calling it advisory as opposed to a lockdown order?
2: There's not a legal reason that's evident because all the cases that have gone to court really, uh, the governor has almost an unblemished win record. And even where he hasn't won outright, he has asked for uh, follow-up rulings. As these numbers get worse, the politics of it, I think, change as well. The big push against the stay-at-home orders or advisories was arising during the course of the prior weeks when it looked like the situation was kind of under control. Just this week, the positivity index in Chicago has gone up almost by 50 percent to 14.1 percent positivity rate. And the cases have gone up almost 40 percent. Mayor Lightfoot projected to be as many as 1,000 deaths over the next 49 days and that that stopped her short. It stops a lot of people short. Yeah. And so I think given the way it's going, the politics of saying, hey, this is no big deal, it's a bad cold, et cetera, that is kind of receding into the background a little yeah. bit.
1: And that's David Grising from the Better Government Association, Amanda Vinicky from WTTW with us as well. All right, it's a great uh, transition to talk about uh, what they're not doing in Washington to what they're not doing in Washington. Uh, let's talk about the, <laughs> the elections. Uh, Amanda, we'll start local. Let's start closer to home. The 14th district called uh, by the AP for the Democrat incumbent, Lauren Underwood, uh, a microcosm, if you will, of what happened in the country. Because on election day and the day after, Jim Oberweiss, the Republican challenger there, was, was saying he won the election. And mail-in ballots have trickled in in the 14th, which is essentially all the Collar counties. Uh, and Lauren Underwood takes the, takes the race.
0: She did, although... Overwise has not conceded, so he is calling for some sort of recount. The Underwood campaign says no way is there anywhere near uh, enough votes that he would be able to come out in and, and advantage of that. So, yes, I believe it. The last I looked, she was she had a lead of over two hundred thousand votes. Yeah. But you're right, Justin. I, I think that. Um, Again, I keep on returning. I think the theme, really, of the election for me is, is perhaps trust, and that is another one where we, I know, as journalists, really tried to set expectations for it. You might not know the results right away. Take a breath. But that is something that you do have so many races called, even some close ones earlier, and then others not until a week after the election. Plus, also, it's not just a race where it's emblematic of a divided area and you have red versus blue. And it's also emblematic of the just change of elections, a pandemic election day and vote by mail and how it works. I'll need to take a breath.
1: That's Amanda Vinicky from WTTW. Also along with us for the ride today, David Greising from the BGA. Here's some other big stories we're looking at this week. It hasn't even been a week since the election, but already Illinois politicians are looking ahead to another race. Based
2: on what Democratic lawmakers are saying publicly, Mike Madigan is holding on to power by a slim margin.
0: Governor J.B. Pritzker says efforts to identify cuts that can be made to Illinois' budget will continue despite the postponement of the General Assembly's veto session.
1: Now with case counts setting new record highs each day, the governor says another stay-at-home order could
2: lie ahead. The numbers don't lie. If things don't take a turn in the coming days, we will quickly reach the point when some form of a mandatory stay-at-home order is all that will be left.
1: There it is, the governor's urging, but so far not ordering people to stay at home to combat the rise of COVID-19 in the state. Okay, Amanda, let's start... With the national story, which has got plenty of local ties, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made it clear in the New York Times if Biden puts former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel in the cabinet or makes him part of the inner circle, there's going to be trouble.
0: Yeah, when you have AOC in the New York Times saying that it would be a hostile approach to the progressive wing of the party as the president-elect is surely among the uh, his overflowing metaphorical desk, uh, having to... Figure out how he is going to thread the needle of the coalition <laughs> that brought him to the White House. That is a sign. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare go there. So wow. um, it is no surprise to me that the Chicago press, of course, <laughs> picked this up, <laughs> but uh, that, that again, that it was in the New York Times. And to me, I, I guess that would be a message if I were Rahm Emanuel that I shouldn't get ready to pack my bags yeah. to head out to DC, at least in a high powered position. I
1: know, David. I, I was surprised by it only because. Uh, the former mayor had a life in D.C. You know, he had been an architect of a congressional takeover with the Democrats back in the 2000s. He uh, chief of staff for Obama. I mean, he's lived a life in D.C. It's not surprising his name would be on a list for a cabinet secretary position. Are you surprised, though, that progressives here in Chicago and, as Amanda said, in, in, in New York and The New York Times at some of the highest levels of the progressives that are, are working today are making the stand against Rom?
2: It's not that surprising for two reasons. One is that uh, to the extent that Obama disappointed supporters by being too cautious, say, with the financial bailout after the financial crash was going on when he became president with regard to not moving forward aggressively on immigration rights, Mm -hmm. uh, even with regard to the health care, which is which was the first term agenda item that he did push through. He was really initially against making that the big issue. So he was cautious perhaps to Obama's ultimate benefit, but that's how he's viewed as very cautious and a technocrat and not somebody who is a true believer. On top of that, you have the fact that he sat on the Laquan McDonald tape in Chicago, and his record on uh, criminal justice in the view of progressives was weak. So for President-elect Biden, the question is, do you take on the political hit in order to name Emmanuel, head of the housing department, possibly, or or transportation, which are the two that have been talked about. That's just the risk reward is not to to Biden's benefit. And if he wants to do a favor for somebody in Illinois, he could go to somebody like Senator Tammy Duckworth and put her in a cabinet position. Uh, He considered her for vice president. So that would seem to make more sense at this point. I think that's just probably not a fight worth for Biden worth picking. Yeah.
1: Amanda, I, I, we had Jamal Green on, the former mayor candidate and uh, civil rights organizer here, and he had tweeted out this week, and I'll paraphrase, but he essentially said he's mad at the media because they're suggesting, uh, could Emmanuel be in a cabinet as opposed to talking about why he shouldn't be in a cabinet?
0: I would say, in defense of the media, that's not something that I personally have spent all that much time on. There's plenty going on here in Chicago and in the state of Illinois with with our budget, with systemic racism, rising COVID cases, you name it. So, while there is a lot of prognosticating about who's going to make it to the cabinet, uh, yeah, it's, right. I think fair, particularly when you had uh, Rahm Manuel is mentioned, because. While he has the um, checkered and troubled record that David just spoke of, particularly uh, offensive to to many on the progressive wing of the party, this is also an election where Democrats took a loss at the congressional level. And you can look back to when Trump led the DCCC and there was far more success. And so it, Democrats are having a lot of those discussions already about what happened. Shari Bustos is out of the C, who perhaps took a, a, a less um, aggressive approach than did Emmanuel. So to yeah,
1: me, of um, yeah. w-
0: w- maybe not a cabinet, but it, 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 it's sensible that his name is part of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: Let's go to what we were talking about this week. Amanda, I know that you were down in Springfield for a, a big part of your career. Uh, are you surprised there's not going to be a veto session? I understand COVID. I understand the fact that uh, getting a group of people together is is really difficult. But the fact that the veto session has been postponed or or canceled outright, I I mean, what do you say to that? The fact that there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be done.
0: There is still a lot of stuff that needs to be done. when. I would really be bowled over it would be if the legislature doesn't return in early January for some sort of lame duck session. And I think in part that's because there's still a lot to figure out at the federal level. Uh, there really wasn't a lot of time for, I think, either the Pritzker administration or the legislators who helped with the budget to digest that the graduated income tax fell so spectacularly. So they need to come up with a new plan on finances. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of suspicion that part of it is that Speaker Michael Madigan had no interest in bringing legislators together so that they could all get together, kind of get in cahoots as he is trying <laughs> right. to have individual conversations, persuading people to bring him back in. And then also that you did have the Black Caucus agree to it. I think we would be going back. The legislature would be meeting Again, had the Black Caucus said, no, we need it now, yeah, they uh, can report, wait right. a couple of months. And I've got to add, the, the COVID cases, while well, they're, they're bad here, I believe that the positivity rate is even higher in the capital city. Yeah, right.
1: David, uh, from the Better Government Associations, Birch, I mean, what do you think of the fact that they're canceling outright a veto session? Like like Amanda said, they could come back and do something early in January, but uh, somewhat of an unprecedented mood, especially since most state houses have have already made a transition to doing... Uh, virtual meetings and doing their work online. Not here in Illinois.
2: I would just point out that when they did decide to go ahead and meet in the spring, when COVID was raging at a level not previously seen, uh, House Speaker Mike Madigan really had the call to bring the assembly together in, and go ahead and get the people's business done. This time around, I think, uh, while they haven't specifically said that he was the one responsible for canceling veto, uh, it appears that might be the case. I want a come comparing what happened in New York when Sheldon Silver, who had been the speaker of that General Assembly, uh, nearly as long as Mike Madigan has been here in Illinois. And what happened was that the uh, his Democratic caucus got together and basically said, Speaker, your time is done after Silver was arrested on corruption charges. Mm. And it would appear that Madigan is trying to avoid that sort of kind of getting everybody together and having something untoward happen as regards his political future. We've already seen... Democratic leaders call for him to step down as party chair. And what he's trying to do is hang on to that position as speaker. What's very interesting is that Silver's replacement in New York is a black speaker who is pushed through a very progressive agenda. And the black caucus in Springfield holds Madigan's future in the balance. They so far have been behind him. It'll be interesting to see if they stand with him or if they think by changing they might be able to make more progress then they have so far even with Speaker Madigan's support
1: 8 Democrats, 8 House Democrats have publicly said they're not going to support Madigan for another term. I mean I think we talked to Dave McKinney that has to be more like 13 or 15, I forgot the number to make that happen, but is that something that's lo- that that we could see Amanda in Springfield you've you've covered? I mean is that something where you see Democrats uh voting against uh Speaker Madigan come January?
0: It looks as if Democrats will have 72 and Madigan needs the support of 60 Democrats mm. in order to retain the speakership for what, by my count, would be a 19th term. Wow. I am hesitant to make any sort of prediction as to whether he will win or not. I think that's in part <laughs> because conversations are still happening and a lot of legislators are still deciding. They don't want to back him but they're not quite sure about saying that outright who the alternative would be so there are this is to david's point with you don't want to bring everybody together because it's a whole lot easier to have those conversations in person when you can rally around each other even if you're wearing a mask or trying to keep six feet away it's still not the same as you know a phone tree you're not going to have a a big zoom call in fact house democrats haven't had a caucus uh, an internal meeting since may they haven't done that over zoom like others have uh, and so i think that is part perhaps because um madigan isn't mr tech wow. but also because he, he doesn't want to do that but sure this could be the downfall of madigan. Yeah, I, that I just... would
2: not be out of the norm to amanda's point the democratic caucus ought to get together and compare notes and decide what's what's good for the state there's a lot going on besides just speaker madigan And he would typically be the convener of the Democratic caucus. If he's not going to convene a meeting, somebody ought to step up and say, hey, we ought to get together on a Zoom and talk about things. There's a lot going on in this state right now.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, And and Amanda, the the other story, too, that happened this week that's got Republicans in the state fuming is uh, Justice Kilbride, who who came under fire because of his ties with Speaker Madigan. He lost his bid for retention last week. And the GOP is and, and I mean they, they they essentially went in and now fairly, I mean the whole court made this decision. I think it was a six nothing but instead of keeping that seat open, they brought an interim judge in, a justice in, a Democrat to to maintain the majority. Republicans hate this.
0: In my reporting, there were those who were against him who openly acknowledged that Yes, it might be um, two years with a replacement judge, but we would rather that than have Kilbride on the bench for 10 years that we know for a certainty. we'll we'll take that gamble to have a fighting chance come 2022. I think where you saw the court come to an agreement, because the the result was, uh, as you noted, 6-0, was that the appointed judge who's from Ottawa on the appellate bench now is a Democrat but he has said that he will not try in 2022. So you're not going to have a Democrat going in with the advantage. Uh, something that's been interesting to me sort of is, as we're talking about redistricting and why this was a why the Supreme Court does come into play, that's because they can have the final call on legislative boundaries, is whether there will be any sort of movement to tackle the boundaries of Supreme Court districts. That Something that hasn't been done in dozens of years and perhaps could be so that, again, you could have this district that Kilbride had had. So it was a Democrat district, now is seen more as leaning more Republican, hence the, this big fight this time around. Will the boundaries of that change so that it will advantage Democrats and all this would have been for naught? That to me is we <laughs> were looking piece.
1: Oh. What a week. <laughs> Such a week. Uh, Amanda Vinicky, David Grideson. Before I let you go, the White Sox. Let's talk about the White Sox. Because the, the White Sox uh, last yesterday, a, a very uh, touching moment, watching Jose Abreu cry uh, as he was named the AL MVP. Uh, that was expected. And congratulations to Jose Abreu, who had an unbelievable season and has had a great run in uh, Chicago on the south side. That being said, the White Sox are in a little bit of hot water in the sense that they uh, made a controversial hire with Tony La Russa. Uh, just came out that right before he was hired, he was charged with a DUI that was from from months back. And now you've got free agent pitchers and and I'm going to Twitter saying there's no money that you could pay me to play for Tony Larusa, David. Not essentially a, a great start for the reunion between this White Sox and Tony Larusa.
2: No, and it's raising questions about the owner Jerry Reinstorf, who had indicated that he was kind of letting go and letting his son more or less take over the running of that franchise. That relationship between Reinsdorf and Larusa goes back decades, and they are just the closest of friends. And so, Chairman Reinsdorf really, you know, knowing that Tony Larusa had his second DUI that's known of, and sitting on that while announcing him as a new manager, it, it, you, you just kind of wonder about uh, the judgment there. Not to mention the, the age difference between a mid seventies manager and twenty year old baseball players, and the way baseball has changed since the last time with Larusa managed. Now, he has been involved as a consultant, and there are some sports writers claim he's up to speed on some Mm -hmm. of the new technical approach to the game, but even despite all these issues, there are questions about can he uh, be up to speed with the technical uh, changes in the game, not to mention uh, how is he going to relate to this very young, very promising team with very, very high expectations. He's moving into a tough spot, and now he's locked down because he's not going to comment until his DUI cases resolved,
1: this is really a mess for the White Sox. Yeah, what a mess. I mean, because, Amanda, I'm a you know White Sox fan, and, and everything is looking up. They got their sights on the World Series, and, and it seems like they kind of uh, have stumbled out of the gate this off season to try and then get there to the World Series in the next season.
0: Yeah, it's a distraction. And while I am a political journalist who tries to avoid having any sort of opinion on things, uh, DUI is the sort of thing that really there's no excuse for, particularly when you're LaRusa, who has more than enough money to um, pay for a cab or a ride share. So uh, to me, that's inexcusable conduct particularly when you're also asking of athletes a lot uh, of expectations for sportsmanship and trying to be role models and such so um, mm-hmm. it, it is a mess I on, on a great note however uh, beyond the bre you I think it's cool that the first um, woman to be yeah, a GM, right? I believe, what of the, of the Marlins has her roots in interning with the Chicago White Sox so let's maybe go back there and say that we <laughs> that we hope that the, the South Siders have some sort of recognition and eye for talent there and best of luck to her. Yeah,
1: and, very, and very cool story uh, to be the first woman to be the general manager in Major League Baseball and like you said, with White Sox roots. All right, that's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky and David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. Amanda, David, thank you so much for joining us and have a great weekend.
0: Happy weekend. All stay safe. Mm-hmm.
1: COVID-19 numbers are going through the roof in Illinois and around the country. Watch your podcast feed this weekend for a brand new coronavirus Q&A with our expert, Dr. Mia Taramina. I guarantee you will learn something that will protect you and your loved ones. And if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, take one minute to give us a rating. It really helps other people find us. I'm Justin Kaufman. Check you back here on Monday.